0: Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of The Orchard. We're a church that loves the Bible, and this podcast features sermons from pastors at each of our six locations. Our prayer is that these messages will help root you in the Word of God, nourish you in the Gospel of Christ, and help you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's today's message. The devil's greatest lie to you may possibly be that sin isn't so bad. He'll whisper in your ear, oh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of indulgence. You deserve it. And it'll make your life happier. Don't you want to be happy? And no one has to know about your sin can be your little secret. That's exactly what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. He enticed Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. And they ate it. All of us will face the pull of temptation in our lives. Perhaps you're facing great temptation in your life today. It's weighing on your heart. The devil is whispering in your ear. And you may be wondering how you can resist temptation. How can I fight my sin? In our passage today, we'll see a man who plays with sin. A man who goes after all his eyes desire. Everything he wants, he goes after it. And through the story of Samson, we'll see a warning from God on the devastation of sin. There are horrible consequences when we follow our sin. Yet, you'll also see how God is able to redeem you and restore you from the power of sin. Your temptation may be strong, but the Lord's grace is even stronger, and he can redeem you. The Lord can restore you from sin. So please have your Bibles open to Judges chapter 13. And the first thing we see here is the birth of a rebellious son, the birth of a rebellious Son. In chapter 13, we're introduced to Manoah, a man from the tribe of Dan. And we're told that his wife was barren and had no children. But the angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her that she will bear a child. He will be a Nazarite, a man devoted to the Lord. And with excitement, she runs and tells her husband all that the angel said to her. Honey, we're going to have a child. He's going to be a Nazarite, a man of God. And after hearing this news, do you know the first thing Medoah does? What do you think he did? He prays to the Lord. He seeks God's help. Judges chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And the Lord answered Manoah's prayer. And the angel of the Lord came down again. And Manoah said, when he saw this angel, he said, Now, when your words come true and we get this child, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may eat, she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. I wonder if some of you are praying this same prayer this morning. Perhaps you just had a baby. There's one right there. I think I heard another one over there. A lot of babies, a blessing from the Lord. Or perhaps you have a high school student who is now off to college and you may be praying, Lord, help me to raise a godly boy. Help me to raise a godly girl. Please show me how to guide my child. What is his mission? What is her mission? How can I help my child? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I want you to notice two things the Lord tells Manoah. The Lord answers his prayer. He says two things. First, he tells him to live a godly life. The boy was to be a Nazarite. This was a special vow before the Lord, where a person would abstain from wine, would abstain from cutting their hair, and from touching a dead body. And the Lord tells Manoah's wife to keep herself from wine and from any unclean thing. In other words, he tells her to take the Nazarite vow with the boy. You are to set an example for the boy. I can't imagine Manoah would allow his wife to do this alone. He was a godly man, a man of prayer, and clearly he wants to be a good father. So along with his wife, he probably abstained from all these things as well. The parents were to set an, an example for the boy and take the Nazarite vow with him. So that's the first thing the angel tells Manoah. Live a godly life. Set an example for the boy. Second, the Lord reveals himself to the parents. He shows himself. They didn't know they were speaking to the Lord. They thought this was a man of God, maybe a prophet of God. But after offering him food, the Lord burns up the food and disappears in the flame. Oh no, they say, we were speaking to the Lord. The Lord reveals himself to the parents. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord would give us a handbook on parenting? Step one, step two. Step three, and here's the outcome. That's what Manoah wants. He wants to know exactly what he must do. How can he secure the faith and mission of his son? Please tell me, Lord. But the Lord doesn't even bring up the boy's mission in verse 14. In fact, he doesn't talk about the boy at all. He speaks only about the parents. He tells Manoah, live a godly life. Second, he says, look at me. Look at my revelation. In terms of his future, his mission, his faith, that's between me And your son, the Lord says, that's out of your control. You just live a godly life, and you look to me. Well, finally, the boy was born, and they named him Samson. And we're told the Lord blessed him. And the child grew up, as all children do. And it came time for him to make his own decisions. And instead of following the Lord, instead of saving Israel from the Philistines, Israel was now under the rule of the Philistines, we're told he went down to Timnah, and Samson saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up, and his to his father and mother, and he says, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Tim, Timna. Now get her for me as my wife. Mom, Dad, I tell you, I saw a beautiful woman. She's got to be my wife. Well, did you talk to her? I don't need to talk to her. I just saw her. I need her. Just get her for me. Samson, couldn't you marry someone from our own people? Do you have to marry a woman who worships other gods? This will not go well for you, son. Unfortunately, he doesn't listen. And he marries her anyway. Here we see a man who had godly parents. who A man who was filled with the spirit of God. But he's impulsive. He's unteachable. Here we see a rebellious son. Second in this story, we see a broken marriage. On his way to his wedding, Samson encounters a lion. And we're told he tore the lion into pieces. And later he passes by the carcass of this lion and he sees that a swarm of bees has made a nest of honey in the carcass of this lion. And having no regard for the Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to touch any dead thing. Not only does he touch this body, he grabs the honey and he eats it. Once he reaches Timnah, He throws a Philistine wedding, just like the young men used to do. That's what the Bible says. He threw a wedding just like the young men used to do with all its pagan rituals. And these weddings lasted for seven days. And there was much drinking of wine and getting drunk every day. And again, having no regard for his Nazarite vow, he drinks wine feasting, getting drunk. And to make things more fun, he tells his 30 wedding guests a riddle. He says, oh, this is getting boring. Let me tell you a riddle. And if you solve this, I'll give all of you some new clothes, some new garments. But if you can't solve it, all of you have to give me new clothes. And he tells them this riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Now we know, of course, this is the lion. Out of the strong came something sweet. And of course we know that this is honey. Obviously there's no way for these guests to know what Samson means by this. They weren't with Samson when he tore the lion, when he ate the honey. And so... Do you know what the people do? They threaten Samson's wife to entice him for the answer. Give us the answer. Tell, ask your husband for the answer, or else we'll burn you and we'll burn your father. Jeez, talk about angry wedding guests. They're willing to kill for Banana Republic? Ann Taylor? Gap? I don't know. Hugo Boss? The woman's life is in danger. Her father's life is in danger. So she entices Samson. What else can she do? Samson, don't you love me, please? Tell me the answer to this riddle. Well, she's able to get Samson to answer her. But once his guests solve the riddle, he realizes what his wife has done. She's betrayed him. And so he goes to another Philistine city in anger. He strikes down 30 men. He steals their clothes, and he gives it to his wedding guests. And filled with anger against his wife, he calls her a heifer and leaves her going back home. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. By making a stupid bet, Samson endangered his wife. And he has no idea, he has no clue the turmoil his wife is facing. She could die. Her father could die. And instead of asking Samson to save her, she has to trick him to save her life. Maybe she thought for a moment, I wonder if I should ask Samson to help me. But she sees him drinking and laughing and gambling. She thinks to herself, there's no way he's going to save me. Samson had the power to protect his wife, but he wasn't the kind of man she could go to for help. She had to face everything on her own. There's turmoil. Her life is in danger. She has to face it on her own. Only if Samson knew these words, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, he could have protected his wife. Here we see in this story a broken marriage, a rebellious son, a broken marriage. Third, we see here a complacent people. After some time, Samson... Goes back to his wife. Why does he go back? Because he wants to sleep with her. So he goes back to Timnah with a young goat. That's the ancient equivalent of a bouquet of flowers. So husbands, next time your wife is mad at you, try buying her a young goat. Just trying to be biblical, honey. I, I don't know. But his father-in-law tells him that she's now married to his best man. I thought you hated her, Samson. I didn't realize you'd be back. How about my younger daughter? She's prettier than her sister. Well, that just pushes Samson over the top. Filled with anger, he ties torches to 300 foxes, releases them into the Philistine fields. It burns all their food. Of course, this upsets the Philistines, so they prepare to fight against the Israelites. We need to destroy this guy, the Philistines say. So 3,000 men of Judah go down to Samson and tell him, Do you know, don't you realize, Samson, that the Philistines are rulers over us? What are you doing? Instead of joining Samson and fighting against their enemy, they tie Samson up and deliver him to the Philistines. They tie him up. They deliver him up. Aren't they supposed to be on the same side? Do you see what's happening here? The Israelites came to accept their fate under the Philistines. They became complacent. They became comfortable. That's why the people aren't crying out to the Lord in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. They do not cry out to the Lord. Last week, we saw that the people repented. They confessed their sin. They repented. In previous chapters, we saw that the people cried out because of their misery. They might not have fully repented, but at least they cried out because they needed God's help. Here, God's people, they don't even cry out. No peep. Nothing, nada. They're not asking for any help. The Philistines are their rulers, and that's just fine with them. The joy of the Lord was gone. The worship of God was dead. And they were under oppression. But things were comfortable. And the Israelites, they didn't want any trouble. So they tied Samson up. They gave him to the Philistines. Here we see a complacent people. Fourth and finally in this story, we see a visionless leader, a visionless leader. After the tribe of Judah delivered Samson to the Philistines, the Lord fills him with his spirit, and he rips the ropes, and he takes the jawbone of a donkey, and Samson by himself strikes down 1,000 Philistines. He destroys them all. One man. And he's victorious. And because of this victory, we're told in the Bible that Samson was able to judge Israel for 20 years. Unfortunately, this isn't where the story ends. Towards the end of the 20 years, Samson again has woman trouble. He falls in love with another woman, a woman named Delilah. And the leaders of the Philistines come to her and they each offer her, get this, 11 pieces, 1,100 pieces of silver. They say, find out the secret to Samson's strength and we will give you this money, each of us, not just One of us, all of us will come together, 1,100 pieces of silver from each leader. So she agrees. The money sounds good. And she entices Samson to tell her the secret to his strength. Tell me, Samson, what is the secret to your strength? He says, well, bind my hands with bowstrings that haven't been dried, and then you will weaken me. Well, she tries it, but it doesn't work. Again, she goes to Samson, tell me the secret to your strength. He he tells her, weave the seven locks of my head and pin them to the ground. Well, she tries that, and that doesn't work. At this point in the story, we have to look at Samson and ask, what a fool! Doesn't he see that Delilah is trying to help the enemy? Well, finally she begs him, Don't you love me, Samson? Please tell me the secret to your strength. And the Bible says she pressed him hard with her words day after day. Tell me, tell me the secret. And urged him. His soul was vexed to death, the Bible says. He finally tells her, he says, okay, okay. Shave off my hair. No razor has been used on my head, but if you shave off my hair, then I will become weak. So while Samson is sleeping, she shaves off his hair. And she calls the Philistines. And when the Philistines come, they defeat him. They capture him. And we're told they gouged out his eyes, bound him in chains, and made him grind the mill in prison. Can you imagine what Samson might have felt while he was in prison? I wonder went through Samson's mind. I knew Delilah was lying to me. Why was I so blind to her deception? I should have left. I could have left. I wasn't married to Delilah. Why didn't I leave? The Bible tells us that the devil is the father of lies, enticing you like an adulterous woman. But when you face temptation, when you feel the weight and the pull of temptation, remember that the Lord can keep you from sin. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We pray that because the Lord can do that for you. Temptation is strong, but God's grace is stronger. That's why the apostle Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There is power. There is strength in the power of the Lord. You can face your temptations. You can resist them because of Christ, because of his might. Unfortunately, Samson wasn't able to resist the Delilah. And here we see a visionless Leader, Earlier I said that this story is about how God redeems his people, how God restores his people. So let me leave you with three ways. Let me encourage you with three ways the Lord can redeem you and the Lord can restore you. Number one, remember that Christ can redeem your foolish choices. Christ can redeem your foolish choices. It's heartbreaking to see someone you love walk down the wrong path, perhaps a son or daughter, a father or mother. But this story shows us that God can bless even those who are on the wrong path. In fact, in fact, God is able to bring about great things, even through our sinful decisions. That's exactly what happened with Samson. The first foolish decision he made was marrying the woman from Timnah. And Judges chapter 14 keeps repeating how Samson went down the wrong path. He went down to Timnah, down to the woman, down with his father, down to Eshkelon, down, 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 down. Samson was on the path going down. And in the eyes of his parents, there was nothing they could do to stop him. They felt so helpless. People do what they're going to do. And many times we will feel helpless to stop our loved ones from going down the wrong path. But I want you to notice chapter 14, verse 4. Listen to what the Bible says. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was, for God was, seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Do you see what it's saying? Samson's mom and dad had no idea the Lord was working out great things in the midst of Samson's foolishness. This doesn't mean that God approves of sin, but this does mean that God can redeem your foolish, even your sinful decisions to bring about great things. One pastor writes by the name of Ralph Davis, and I quote, No one can deny it is anything but devastating to see a child willfully turn away from the Lord. Yet no one should forget verse 4. But his father and his mother did not realize it was from the Lord. What we don't know may yet prove to be our deepest comfort. End quote. What we don't know may yet prove to be our deepest comfort. Friends, the Lord is working. Even in our foolishness, even in our sinfulness, to bring about good, to bring about His glory, to bring about good for you. So, first, here we see that God can redeem your foolish, my foolish, and sinful decisions. Second, number two, remember that Christ can restore you for His kingdom. Christ can restore you for his kingdom. As you look through the story, it's not difficult to see how horrible Samson was. He was disrespectful. He was lustful and scandalous. He killed people out of revenge. He had no regard for his Nazarite vow. And you might think there's no possible way for the Lord to restore Samson. He is a wicked guy. but it was actually in prison at the lowest point in his life that the Lord restored him. In fact, it was in prison that Samson made his biggest contribution to the kingdom of God. But how did the Lord restore Samson? How did Samson in prison make his biggest contribution to the kingdom of God? Well, first... Restoration began when Samson accepted the consequences for his sin. All his life, he did whatever he wanted. He never faced the consequences for his sin. But here he's not complaining. He's not crying out to God, Lord, give me my eyes back. Lord, get me out of this prison. He's a man who's now come to accept his faith, fate. I deserve this. This is where I belong. Second, restoration doesn't mean the Lord will return you to your previous position. Samson was no longer judging Israel. He's in prison. And he wasn't going to get his position back. Third, third, Samson's ret- restoration was a slow process. The Bible tells us that Samson's hair began to grow. It began to grow. Now, how long does it take a shaved head to grow back fully to long hair? Two years, three years, maybe four years? He had to wait a long time. His restoration was a slow process. Forgiveness can be immediate, but restoration is a slow process. Fourth and finally, so we see he accepts the consequences for his sin. He doesn't return to his previous position. His restoration was slow. Fourth and finally, God used Samson's biggest failure to bring about Samson's greatest contribution to the kingdom of God. There was a party of Philistine leaders, about 3,000 of them, and they brought Samson out of prison to entertain them. Entertain us, Samson. Give us a little dance or a song. But while the people were mocking him, Samson prayed to the Lord. Then Samson called out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may avenge, be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. I accept my consequences. I know I'm not going to get out of this prison. I know it's been a long time, but I want to do the right thing. I want to save your people, even if it means giving my life. And with one last display of strength, he puts his hands on two pillars, holding up the building, and he knocks them down, destroying the enemy, giving his life making his biggest contribution to the kingdom of God. It was in his imprisonment, in his imprisonment, that led to his greatest act of faith. And because of this, he's now recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faith. No matter your past, no matter your failures, No matter how deep you think your sin is, remember the Lord can restore you. And don't ever think the Lord can't use you because of your sin. God can use you even in your greatest failure. The consequences may be tough. You may have to give up your position and the process of healing may be long. But when you put your faith in Christ, in your greatest failure, the Lord can still bring about your greatest contribution to his kingdom. Christ can restore his people for his kingdom. Third and finally, Christ is the only one who can save you from your sin. In the beginning of Judges, we saw Ehud. He saved God's people with an army, a full army. Then we went to Barak. Barak saved Israel with 10,000 soldiers. Then we went to Gideon. How many soldiers did Gideon use to save Israel? Does anyone remember? Three hundred how many people did God use to save Israel in this story? One man. An army, 10,300, then one man. Do you see the message that Judges is pointing to? The true Savior can only be one man, Jesus Christ. And the story of Samson points us to Christ. Samson was sold over by Delilah for 1,100 pieces of gold from many leaders. Jesus was sold over by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Samson was mocked by the Philistines. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers. Samson gave his life stretching out his arms pushing down two pillars. Jesus Christ gave his life, stretching out his arms, being nailed to a cross. And ultimately, Samson, the last judge in this book, he wasn't able to fully save God's people. But Jesus Christ, our final deliverer, our final savior, he can truly save you from your sins. He died on the cross, canceling the debt of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Trust in Jesus Christ. And he will forever redeem you and restore you from sin. We have a wonderful, powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's always look to Him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we feel our weaknesses, we feel the temptations of this world. We hear the whispers of the evil one. But God, your grace is stronger. Your power is stronger. And Christ has delivered us from sin. So help us to focus our hearts and to always look to him. Help us to remember, to have hope, knowing that you redeem us, that you restore us. We thank you, God, for your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Orchard Sermon podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe, become a regular listener, and share the link with others. And if you're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we'd love to welcome you as our guest at one of the Orchard's six locations. For more information, go to theorchard.church. That's theorchard.church.